So for today's message, um, I need to put on my pastor's hat. There are some messages that are easy and honestly, a whole lot more fun to give. To stand here and to talk to you about joy or about freedom or about miracles, healings, salvation, man, those are easy talks to give. To stand here and to deliver those, those are fun. I love doing that. And then there's the topics that are not so much fun it's difficult for me to bring. And you're probably sitting there thinking they're, they're difficult to hear. You know, I'm talking, you know, the, when, when we come and we, we deal with sin, we talk about hell, which is a very real place. We've talked many times before, we've, we've talked on sexual identity. We have talked on racism. We've talked on... Uh, on abuse, right? These are, these, are, these are difficult. These are heavy, weighty things to bring to you. And we don't, you know, and, and honestly, uh, the amens on those days, pretty quiet. <laughs> but it's okay. I don't preach for the amens. We don't, I, don't teach, I don't teach for the agreement because if you agree with everything that I'm telling you, then I'm not challenging you, right? So we don't just talk about the fun and easy stuff because we need the tough things. We need to hear the difficult topics. We need to wrestle with the, the hard scriptures, those difficult ones that maybe we, when we read, we're like, you know, I don't like that so much. I would really rather that not be in the Bible or, or I don't really agree with that. And it kind of rubs me the wrong way. We need to wrestle those things out. We bring those to you because I love you, because I care about you. Because I want you to have a full, um, full uh, experience with the Word of God, and not just slanted on, on, you know, on, on one, one thing, one way. And so now that I've got you nervous and incredibly uneasy for whatever it is I'm going to talk about today, I want you to take a brief, deep breath, and say this with me: It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Come on, more than just Linda. I want to hear you. It's going to be okay. All right. So today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the discipline of the Lord. But before we get to our scripture on the discipline of the Lord, which we're going to, we're going to land in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles or you do the Bible on your phone, you can go there and kind of bookmark that. If you've got a hard copy of Bible, stick your finger in Hebrews chapter 12. But before we get there, we're going to take a little bit of a journey because I don't want to just dive into talking about the discipline of the Lord because like, truthfully, we've all got a little baggage when, it start, when we start talking about discipline. Right? All of us have some kind of baggage because all of us at some point in time in our life have all been disciplined harshly. We've been disciplined, not, not, not in a good way, but we've been disciplined out of anger or out of spite or out of jealousy. Right? And these are, these are not healthy ways to receive discipline. And so we carry around this baggage of discipline. So when we start talking about the discipline of the Lord, we're going to take a little bit of a journey because we've got to set a little bit of a foundation before we dive straight in. Some people, their, their baggage comes from their family and how they were disciplined as children or not disciplined as children. For others, it comes from you know, school or the, work for, or the workplace. Many times we're disciplined by someone, who, whether it's a parent or a boss or, or an authority figure, sometimes a teacher. 
and it's not coming from a good place. It's coming from a place of brokenness within them. And so then when we, when we are receiving that discipline, we feel their, the pain of their brokenness and they're, they're inflicting that same pain on us. You need to understand as we start that God never disciplines out of anger. He is not angry with you and disciplining you. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, John says, Beloved, let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experience. The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not, and never did know him. For God is love. He is the originator of love. And it is an enduring attribute of his nature. See, God does not simply love. He is love. Love isn't what he does. Love is who he is. So when we experience the love of God, see, we, we come into a service and, and we're, we're in worship and we're singing about the love of God and we experience that, or it's in a message or it's at an altar call and we're, we're experiencing the love of God, we're not just experiencing the love of God, we are experiencing God. Because God is love. This is the foundation of our conversation today. I say conversation loosely because it's one way. This is, a, this is the foundation on, on, on my talk to you on the discipline of the Lord. Love. It is rooted in love because God is love. And he cannot function outside of love because if he were to function outside of love, then he would stop being God because God is love. And so I need you to, to hold that in your heart. Hold that in your spirit that God is love. Now, you may, you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know if everything that God does that I've felt love. That's mostly probably because you don't have an agreement with what love actually is. That you have a, a distorted or dysfunctional view of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, and he says, Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag. It is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked or overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth. When right and truth prevail, love bears all things, regardless of what comes believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. That is love. That is also a description of God because God is love. This is how he loves us, right? Love is, is both sensitive and strong. It is both forgiving, but yet at the same time holds the standard of truth and accountability, Love stands for righteousness. Love stands for, for holiness. Love is for you and is not against you. Love gives the freedom to make choices. You can make whatever choice that you want and God will love you and allow you the space to do that, even if he does not agree with the choice that you're making because love gives that choice. But love also holds us accountable for our choices. As I was preparing this message 
I was talking it through with Renee as I often do. If, if you might not know this about me, but I'm a, I, I often verbally will process things. And so um, as I'm wrestling this out and just trying to make sure like I, I've got God's heart for what he has for us today, I'm, 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 I'm verbally processing out loud, you know, with Renee. It's, Actually, it was pro probably more like at Renee. As she was, she was, I think she was in the kitchen. She was doing something, and I was just processing at her, talking out loud. And then all of a sudden, she kind of interrupts me, and she goes, what's the point? What are, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to communicate? What do you want? What do you want the church? What do you want the people to, to feel or to, to walk away from? What do you want them to understand? What are you trying to say? Well, needless to say, I stopped verbally processing. And I just stood there and I began to think, God, what, what is it that you have to say as I talk about your discipline? And a few things came to mind. The first was this, that God loves us and that's why he disciplines us. And the second was, was this, the goal of his discipline is our growth and our maturity. He loves us and he wants us to grow up. That's why he disciplines us. So a couple, we, a couple weeks ago, um, we flew our son Josiah, who, who lives in Reading, we flew him home for a grand total of like 36 hours. He flew in on a Tuesday night at like 6.30, 7 o'clock. We picked him up at the airport. And then he spent the night with us. He came down for this, for this reason. He had his, uh, an appointment to, um, to take his, his citizenship test and his citizenship interview. Uh, downtown. So we all apply. We're, we all apply for citizenship. If you, if you're kind of new and, and not you don't know us very well, we're we're Canadian, um, and uh, we all apply for citizenship on the 28th of December. Well, Josiah already got you know his his appointment, and none of us have heard anything else about it. So he's got some favor on his life, and so he went down that morning. It was a Wednesday morning at 8:30, and we drove him down there for his for his appointment. They wouldn't let anybody else in the building, so we, we sat in the we sat in the car, really unfamiliar of what the process was going to entail. He texts us, you know, about 20 minutes later, and he says, "Hey, I passed my test because I told him I'm like, bro, this is one test you do not want to fail." Like, do not fail this test. You make sure you study. There's 100 questions that they could potentially ask you. You have to get six right. They will only ask you a maximum of 10. Do not get... He's a champ. They only asked him six questions because they got, he got them all right. And so he texts, I passed the test. Now I'm just waiting for my oath. And I text back. I said, wait, what? Because I, I, don't, I, don't I don't know the process. I thought there was another appointment later. No, no, he walks out of the building. He's a full-fledged U.S. citizen. Come on. So he's the first one in our family to be a U.S. citizen, which I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm over the moon about. So anyway, so he spent the day with them, and then because I love him so much, I drove him to Burbank at 3.30 in the morning to catch a one-way flight home. It was the cheapest way to get him home and back to Reading. Um, so at 3.30 in the morning, we jumped in the car, and I drove up to, to Burbank. I dropped him off, gave him a hug. And I turned around and I was driving home. And as I was driving home, I was uh, listening to worship music and I was praying for this message. Again, God, like, I'm really wrestling. And this is what I was saying. I was, this was my prayer. I said, Jesus, give me a new, fresh revelation of your love. See, because if I'm going to preach, if I'm going to teach you on the discipline of the Lord, then I need a fresh revelation of your love. And so I just was driving and listening and worshiping. And a little while later, I felt him just quietly whisper this to me. Where's the father's discipline in the story of the prodigal son? And I just kind of stopped. And I was like, 
I don't know. This is the story of the prodigal son. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. I'm just going to tell the story. It's in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. So in this story, there's a son. There's a father who has two sons, a younger son and an older son. The younger son comes to his father and he says, Dad, give me my inheritance. And so the father gives him what's, what's rightfully his as his son, gives him his inheritance, and he takes his inheritance and he moves away to a far off country. And it, it says that the Bible says that he spent all of that money on, on what it calls wild, reckless, and immoral living. He partied it up. He did everything as bad as he possibly could, and he went all the way, and he spent it all. He had no money left. And it says that when he had spent all that he had, that a famine came to that country on that, in that place. And he was starving, and he was desperate, and he didn't know what to do. And so what he did is he, he, he found a job feeding pigs for a farmer. And he was out, he was feeding the pigs and he was so hungry that says that he longed to eat the, the pods, the slop that the pigs were, were, were eating. How low do you have to be when you're looking at pig slop, which is really just leftover, kind of like, it's nasty old food. When you look at that and be like, I wish somebody would give this to me to eat. This is where he was. And he's sitting there feeding the pigs wanting to eat their food. And he goes, what am I doing? The servants in my father's house live better than this. They're treated better than this. I will go home to my father's house and I will say to him, I will come and be a servant to you, not as a son, but as a servant. So he gets up and he begins a long journey home. And as he's, you know, as he's, he's approaching home, he comes over a little crest in a hill and he can see his, where he grew up off in the distance and his father looks and his father sees him and sees him coming. And the father begins to run towards his son. He runs towards him and he embraces him. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. And the son begins his prepared speech because he's preparing this speech the whole way home. And he says, Father, I have sinned against you and I've sinned in your sight. Forgive me. I want to be a servant in your house. The father, he's like not even acknowledging the prepared speech. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. And he starts calling the servants. He says, come, come, bring a robe. Put a robe on him and bring, bring a ring. Put a ring on his finger. And he says, slaughter the fattened calf. We're having a celebration. We're having a party. My son who was lost is now found. My son who has wandered away has now come home. And they throw this huge celebration. Well, in the midst of the celebration, the older son, who never went anywhere but stayed working the father's farm, he approaches the house and he says, what's, like, what's the sound of the party? And he calls over one of the servants. He says, what's going on? And he says, your younger brother who was lost has been found and he's now come home and they're celebrating. The older brother gets very angry. And he refuses to go inside to the house. And so the servants tell the father. The father comes out and the father says to him, what's, what's wrong? Like, what's, what's going on? And the, the older brother says, I was faithful to you. I never left. I never dishonored you. I loved you. I served you. And you never even gave me a goat that I might eat and celebrate with my friends. I've been so faithful to you. And so the older brother is angry and the father begins pleading with him and says, son, everything I have is yours. It always has been. Come inside and, 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 and join, the, join the celebration. That's the story of what we call the prodigal son. Did you recognize the father's discipline? Did you catch it? Don't feel bad if you didn't because honestly, I read it through a few times questioning the Lord, like, like Lord, I don't, I'm not seeing the Father's discipline here. And I felt him say, it's because we 
have misperceptions about the Lord's discipline in our lives. See, I don't know about you, but I, I, equal, I, I equate like discipline with pain. That's, that's what discipline is like, like for me. That's what, that's what I think of. And I don't see the pain of discipline in the story. But what I do see is I see a loving father restoring his lost son back to his proper place within the family. I see a son who went off the rails, on the crazy train, so to speak. He went off the rails and he's feeling the pain of his choices and the pain of his actions and the consequences, but he's also covered in his father's love. He's covered in his father's acceptance, not his father's approval. The father did not approve of the actions, but he accepted the son, restored him back into this proper place within the family. And then I see a loving father pleading with the offended older brother, trying to bring him in, trying to help him get over his offense and his wounded heart. That's the discipline of the father that I see in the story. See, the story, we call it the story of the prodigal son, but the story is not really about the prodigal son. It's the story of a loving father. That's what the story's about. It's not about the younger son who went away or the older son who was offended, but it's about a loving father. That's the point of the whole story. See, discipline is not punishment. Punishment seeks to cause pain so that someone will not break the rules, someone will not break the law going forward. So there's, there's, there's punishment, so they feel the pain and they will not do that again. Discipline seeks to mature us. See, the goal of discipline is maturity. Where someone isn't just following the rules, like God's not looking to have you just toe the line. Right? Here's all the rules. Don't, don't break any of the rules. It, it's, it's, not, it's not about that. It is about correcting behavior, but more than that, it's about emulating the one who is disciplining. See, so not solely about correcting the behavior, but transforming the person. That's what discipline is about, transforming the person. The Lord disciplines you and I so that we can grow up, so that we can mature, so that we can look like, act like, think like, speak like our Father. He desires you and I to be the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. Father wants me to be the best dad that I can be. The best friend, the best husband, the best pastor, the best neighbor that I can possibly be. And I'm at my best when I look like my father. That's when I'm at my best. See, I, I, I honestly don't believe that God just wants us to follow the rules. He wants us to naturally live the example that Jesus set for us as he walked the earth. He wants you to be a mature mother. He wants you to be a mature father. He wants you to be the best person that you could possibly be, the best follower of Jesus, the best employee, the best business owner, the best manager or boss that you can be. And he does this by loving us in his discipline. This probably is going to come as a shock. But following Jesus isn't supposed to be easy. Forgive me if I have ever given you the impression that following Jesus is easy. <laughs> like it's a bed of roses. Following Jesus looks like pick up your cross and follow me. It's, it's, it's a struggle. We are actually meant to struggle. 
struggle against temptation, struggle to have a right heart in every and all situations, no matter what someone does or says to me or about me. I struggle to have the right heart, struggle to have the right motives, not only just doing the right things, but actually doing the right things for the right reasons, because we all know if you ask your kids to clean their room and they do it with, with, a, with a horrible heart and they're angry about it, sure, the room got clean, but that's not really the goal. The goal, isn't, the goal is not to get your son to clean his room. The goal is to prepare him so that his wife doesn't have to teach him how to clean his room. Right? <laughs> right? We want, we want our, our sons and daughters to grow up. It's a struggle. I struggle to surrender to Jesus. Because it's in the struggle that I grow. It's in the struggle that I mature. It's in the struggle that I become like Jesus, who the Bible says in Hebrews is the exact representation of the Father. So when you see Jesus, you read about Jesus in the Bible, you're seeing the Father. See, when I exercise, when I work out, it's a struggle. It's not easy. If it was easy, well, usually you say everybody would do it, but if it was easy, then there's no benefit, right? What's easy? This is easy. Right? I, I can sit down, I can relax on the couch, I can watch TV, like that's easy. But like honestly, there is zero physical benefit of this. Just sitting, like sitting is easy. Working out is difficult, it's, it's a struggle and uh, I don't always enjoy it. But what, what I do enjoy is the results of the struggle. See, you struggle, whether, whether you're, you're lifting weights or you're doing cardio and your body is screaming out, wanting you to stop. Your lungs are on fire. Your heart's pounding out of your chest. You can't breathe. And if you're, if you're somebody like, like, like I know Johan likes to swim for exercise. I hate swimming for exercise. I, it's so hard. I like to swim for fun, but here's why I don't like to swim for exercise. Because I like to be able to breathe whenever I want to. Honestly, that's why I don't swim for exercise. Because when my face is in the water, I can't breathe. And so like if I'm running or if I'm like doing burpees or some, something like that, I can breathe whenever I want. I don't have to time my breathing. That's why I hate swimming. But it's, it's a struggle. But my body, your physical body responds to the struggle. It's the same way with our spiritual life. Your growth as a follower of Jesus comes through your struggle. But here's the good news that he empowers us and he strengthens us in the struggle. He helps us. He doesn't abandon us. He's with us in the struggle. You don't struggle alone. He's there with you. And it's his strength inside of you that's enabling you to get through to the other side of the struggle. So the framework and the foundation of the Lord's discipline is through love and the goal is maturity. So that, that's the journey. Hebrews chapter 12. And I probably should have bookmarked it. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 4 through 11. It says, You have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must sub submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to some people and they are struggling against sin. That's the struggle that he's specifically addressing. And the writer is encouraging them in their struggle against sin and in their struggle against temptation as the Lord is disciplining them through this, this, this process, through this struggle. See, the discipline of the Lord brings us back into alignment with him and in adversity to sin and to temptation. See, when we sin, we step out of alignment with God. We choose to step and break that alignment with God. And his discipline corrects us and brings us back into alignment. Discipline, in the original language, means the correcting of mistakes and the curbing of desires. See, again, it's not just about towing the line and following the rules. Discipline changes our desires. Where we want what God has for us. Where we want the things that God wants. And not the things that the world has for us. See, that's growing up in the Lord. It's becoming a mature son and a mature daughter. So there's three quick things, and then we're going to end. Three quick things that I want to pull out from this chapter. Number one. God's discipline comes from his great love for us. It is not punishment. Verses five and six are on the screen. I remember having a conversation with Josiah when he was maybe six years old. And I was talking to him about discipline. And he wasn't understanding why there was a consequence, why there was a discipline to something that he had done. And I said to him, I sat on the, I remember sitting on the edge of his bed. And I said, Josiah, I discipline you because I love you. If I didn't care what you did, and I didn't discipline you, then it would communicate that I didn't love you. Now listen, this is an extremely difficult concept for a child to understand. But as the parent sitting on the edge of the bed trying to explain, I, I, I get it. As parents, we, we, get, we get the concept. The issue comes in in our spiritual life is that even though we're adults, when the Lord begins to discipline us, we, we, it seems like most of us, many times, we revert back to to being a child, and we don't understand. Why, why is there a consequence to what I did? We don't understand or agree with the Lord's discipline. See, many people are upset when the Lord disciplines them as if there should be no consequences to their choices or their actions. No discipline means no love. People want to do whatever they please. They, they, they want to have no consequences from God. But they, listen, they would never, ever think of raising their children that way. right? His love corrects and disciplines. It's not punishment. Now, you might be sitting there. If you're, if you're quick and you're sharp, you're thinking to yourself, you read discipline in that passage. You read punishment in that passage. Yes, I did. I know my translation said punishment. And this is, I want to walk you through that. So what the, what, where it says punishment is in verses um, 5 and 6. 
And what the writer, the, the writer to the Hebrews, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, which reading from Proverbs reads this. My child, don't reject the, dis the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For, th for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. We didn't, we didn't read punishment there, did we? No punishment there. So what we're reading here is the difference in languages. Proverbs was written in Hebrew and Hebrews was written in Greek. I understand that's confusing. The book of Proverbs was written in the language of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, the book of Proverbs was written in the language of Hebrew. The book of Hebrews was written in the language of Greek. There, I knew I, knew I, could, I could get there. Bible interpreters stay true to the language that they are translating from, which is why we read punishment, because that's the English word most closely related to the Greek word that's being translated. And the Greek word is the one that's most closely associated to the Hebrew one from the book of Proverbs that the writer is quoting. See, punishes in the Greek means uh, uh, God as a father is chastising and training us as children by afflictions. This is God allowing circumstances and, and experience of our actions and decisions. He is not actively putting afflictions on us. This is the consequence and the result of my actions and my choices and my decisions. And he allows them into our lives. This is the struggle that leads to growth. He's not punishing us in anger, but allowing us to experience the consequences. And then he is not, he's loving us through them. God draws us, he actually draws us near to himself in the discipline because he delights in us. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights, he does not send us away in discipline, but he actually draws us in closer to his heart. Second thing I want you to catch is God's discipline proves we are his children, verses seven and eight. See, not only does God's discipline come from his great love for us, but it actually proves it demonstrates to me that I am his son and that you are his son and you are his daughter. It says, that's my father. No good father winks at the faults of his own children. Every parent wants their children to grow up to be mature adults. But children don't know how to be mature because they are immature by definition. That's really, which as a dad, this will sound funny. It took me a little while to learn this. Honestly, there are times when, when Renee would say to me, you know, I'd be like, why are they doing that? Like, why, why are they acting like that? And she'd be like, because they're immature. They're supposed to. They're, they're chill. They don't know any better, right? This part of their job description, our part of our job description is to roll them up, to teach them what's, what's right, what's wrong, to, 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 to transform them, right? So it's in the training, correction, and discipline that children are brought into maturity. Um, when I'm out in public, and if I see a child who is out of control, they're misbehaving, they're doing all these crazy things that are not right. I don't step in and discipline that child, right? That would be weird. They're not my child. This is what I think to myself. Not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> father, I pray for that mother and father to give them the strength, right? Discipline proves we are the sons and the daughters of God. The third thing I want you to catch from this, this passage is in verse 11. The goal of God's discipline is righteousness. Discipline trains us in righteousness. This is the looking, talking, acting, and thinking like God. 
the, the embodiment of righteousness is Jesus. As I said before, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father on the earth. He is our model. He is our example. And it's through discipline that God trains us and matures us to look like, act like, think like, and talk like Jesus. In Acts chapter 11 is the first time that the word Christian is used for followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 11. And it was, it was, it was used and it was given to the followers of Jesus. And it, this is what it means. Christian actually means little Christs. It's because the followers of Jesus were looking like, acting like, talking like Jesus. And so they started to call them little Christs. When we receive salvation, when you start your life with Jesus, you don't know how to be like Jesus you don't know any better. Yes, you've got him living inside of you, but it's his discipline that starts training you and teaching you to look like him, to think like him, to talk like him, to act like him. So that we can, we can be the righteousness of God in Christ that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. See, God the Father wants his children to grow up into mature fathers and mothers. And discipline is part of how he does that. I know discipline might not be the easiest thing, and this is not the funnest thing to talk about. No one enjoys being disciplined. Not as a child, not as an adult, or anywhere in between. But the results of the discipline, everybody enjoys the results of the discipline. I'm convinced like if there's a, a, an immature follower of Jesus who's, you know, an, an adult, you know, maybe in their mid-40s, but they're immature and they've walked with Jesus a long time, they're immature and they haven't grown up in the Lord, I'm convinced they don't want to be that way. No one wants to be immature, but they've just rejected and pressed back against the discipline of the Lord. We have to go through the struggle to grow. We must be disciplined by the Lord to mature and to become like Jesus. Now, this is what I want you to leave, I want to leave you with. I want to encourage you to welcome the discipline of the Lord when it comes. When you're sensing that correction from him, then you welcome that. And just say, yeah, Father, I welcome you. Search me, know me. See if there's any evil, wicked way in me. And allow him in. It's for your good. It's for my good. I want you to make sure that you reject feelings of shame, of guilt, and condemnation because that is not God. And I can go through a host of scriptures proving that that is not God. He does not discipline you with shame. He does not discipline you with guilt. And he does not discipline you with condemnation. He does not send you away from him. He pulls you in close. So when, when you have those feelings and those thoughts, you reject them because you know that's not him. And then what you do is you soak in the Father's great love for you because that's what you're experiencing. When you're being corrected, you're experiencing his love. And then remember, in that moment, you are his beloved son and you are his beloved daughter. And he's maturing you. He's growing you up. Told you it was going to be okay. <laughs> At least I hope it was going to be okay. I'll, I'll find out later. Um, I want to pray, and then I'm going to, um, if you need prayer, 
Hey, you want someone to pray with you? Our, our ministry team is gonna come forward and we'll make ourselves available to pray with, with you as, as you might need. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would really take the scriptures and the, the things that you've given me to share and you'd help us understand the discipline of the Lord, that you'd help us know that you love us, that you'd help us know that you are, you're growing us up so that we can be the best that we could possibly be, that we could become all that you planned and destined for us to become. God, that we would not be those that reject the discipline of the Lord and stay immature, but we would grow up in the Lord and in your ways, growing from sons and daughters to mature mothers and fathers. In Jesus' name, amen.